I love them. I don't care what anybody thinks. I love the Beatles for them, and I'll always love them. Even when I'm 105 and an old grandmother, I'll love them. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the She Loves You podcast, the podcast where we talk about the incredible women in the Beatles' lives, everyone from the wives, the girlfriends, the groupies, the friends, colleagues, and especially the fans. I'm your host, Natalia, and today we're going to learn about an incredible, incredible lady who I think is probably one of the most important people in Beatles history as well. Um... And I'm just really excited to bring this episode to you guys, just because I've been wanting to do it for a while, so this will be really fun. Of course, I love every lady, and every episode is great, but this is one that's especially, I, I think, means a lot to a lot of Beatle fans. So I'm very excited today to talk about the lovely Linda McCartney. So Linda McCartney was born Linda Louise Eastman on September 24th, 1941. She was born in New York City to a very affluent family, meaning that they not super rich, but they were definitely well off and had a lot of connections and whatnot. Um, her father, Lee Eastman, was a very, very affluent um, entertainment lawyer. He represented some musicians, composers, as well as painters, and, you know, he led an, in- an extremely interesting life, you know, representing all of these important people. And Linda sort of grew up around this idea of always knowing important people, which I think followed her up until, you know, the end of her life, which is such an interesting way to look at her childhood. Um, She was the second eldest of four children. Um, She had two brothers and a sister. And, you know, she was always kind of known as, or I guess what Linda would describe herself as, is the black sheep of the family. She was not really into (laughs) a lot of what other kids were into at the time. She was um, definitely a nature girl from the very beginning. Um, Mary McCartney recalled in a documentary that they were doing about Linda and vegetarian cooking that Linda was always an animal lover. And she told her a story about how when Linda was a little girl, Um, you know, when most kids would be playing with their friends or whatever it was, Linda was out and about, um, and ended up capturing or not capturing, but rescuing, um, a lizard that was kind of around her house and ended up, um, putting the lizard in her bathroom and basically ended up like raising the lizard in secret without her family, like knowing, which is very, very funny to me. And, you know, that's the kind of person that Linda, I think, always was since the beginning, just a full-on animal lover. And she really, really loved, um, you know, nature and that idea of it. So she was kind of known as the black sheep in her family. Um, She preferred rock and roll to classical music. And, you know, she was just one of those people that was different and, you know, was always going to be very different. So, you know, as she was growing up, she had a love of horses, a passion for riding horses, and, you know, it was a love that would continue all throughout her life. Um, she would own a few horses in her life and um, would end up photographing a lot of them. And, you know, that that just goes to show how much nature was a big part of her life, and she absolutely loved it. And, um, you know, it was one of the best things in her life, nature. And obviously, we can see, as she became a vegetarian later, we can see how much uh, animals affected her for the rest of her life. So, growing up, she you know, was not the best student, according to herself. She loved to daydream about riding a horse, living on a farm. She was 
horrible at school and you know her father hated it being a being a Harvard educated lawyer as himself was he, you know he couldn't understand why his daughter was not um, aiming for a higher education in, in many regards but she did go to college um, she ended up going to Vermont College and she studied art graduating in 1961 um, and later on she would end up going to the University of Arizona to get a uh, master's in fine art. So art was sort of always a passion that Linda always had as well. It was, you know, she grew up um, knowing the painters that her father represented and, and she, she loved art. So art was definitely something that always followed her and, you know, she ended up majoring in it. Um, and this is where, uh, you know, uh, the beginning of really her meeting her future husband, uh, Joseph Melvin C. So Joseph Melvin C. was a student at the University of Arizona, and he was a geologist, and um, he was very intellectual, is what, you know, from the research I've gathered, he was a very big intellectual type, and, you know, him and Linda met, they fell in love, um, and quickly got married in a lot of respects. And um, in 1962, they would end up having their only daughter, Heather. But around this time, uh, Linda McCartney's mother, uh, her Louise, she would end up dying in a plane crash, which was very tragic. And it's something that affected Linda, I think, up until, you know, the end of her life. She lost a parent losing a mother, which is always hard. But she lost, especially, you know, someone that meant so much to her and in such a horrible way in a plane crash which is just terrible and Linda herself even said that throughout her life um plane travel was something she always kind of feared because of that instance which I don't blame you Linda I don't like going on planes <laughs> I do it because I have to but trust me I absolutely detest it but um you know the marriage went on but it did not last long unfortunately Linda's Linda went on to say that he was a little too much of an intellectual where, you know, he would take it all the way back to the how to the home. You know, he could never get off of the classroom setting. And Linda, she wanted more of a free, relaxed environment when it came to her marriage. So she definitely, you know, understood that this wasn't going to work out. And they divorced pretty soon after that. And, you know, Linda was pretty much a single mom at that point. She um, was on her own, divorced. Um, and realized that she had to make a move. She had to change her life. And moving from Arizona, she went to Manhattan, where everything basically changed for her in a, sh a short few years, really. And, you know, essentially she became, as I mentioned, a single mom. She was all on her own. And this big move to Manhattan was sort of very liberating for her. You know, for the first time in her life, she was truly on her own. You know, of course, with a little daughter, but, you know, she was a free bird. She could, you know, spread her wings wherever she wanted. And, you know, Manhattan seemed the best place to do that. You know, it's where she's from. And, you know, New York is the center of everything. It's, you know, if you want to be someone, you go to New York, right? Or Los Angeles. But, you know, New York is where you want to be. So, you know, of course, being a single mom, you have to pay the rent and you got to feed little Heather. So Linda actually took a job as a receptionist at the really famous magazine at the time, and it still is active and running now, Town and Country, which is, if you don't really know Town and Country, it's more like 
it's it's a society magazine so you know you can figure out uh you know where to get the best looks where to you know find the best um fashion tips you know stuff like that and it's um it it, it was a big glossy society magazine even then you know now it still is but even then it was really big um of course though linda was not the glossy society type you know she came from that world but it wasn't who she was so she was really the receptionist and you know answering the phone answering letters um and you know she happened to have met david dalton who at the time the 60s was a uh, not a big photographer but he was definitely well known around the area and they became romantically involved and of course as we mentioned before linda was a huge huge fan of art in any way you know whether that's painting conceptual you know anything but i would say visually she loved photography she discovered it at the university of arizona um actually as well at the at the um fine arts center of arizona she went with a friend and she took a class in photography and she witnessed amazing pictures by dorothea lang and you know henry cartier brosson and just these amazing photographers that captured life you know it wasn't posed photography it was photography that that meant something it was real people real lives and that really inspired linda and you know from then on she would have a camera with her everywhere she went um she never really thought it could be a career at that point but she just knew that she loved photography so this man david dalton as i said they had a romantic relationship and linda would actually uh watch him as he would do sessions with you know whether it was musicians or you know anybody that was well known and linda would observe and kind of try to understand what it was to work with a camera of course her style would eventually be very different it was more candid but um david dalton was quoted as saying shooting rock groups was an absolute pain in the neck but with lovely linda that all changed now all their eyes were pinned on her and that's i think an amazing way to sum it up Linda had this quality about her that would, you know, she would allow you to be calm because she was so calm herself. And, you know, it was about, it was a job for her, right? Photo photographing these artists, but it was more about getting that moment and being in the room with you and making you feel as though you're the most important person in the world. You know, she had that effect on people and a lot of rock stars have gone on to say that she was probably one of the best people to photograph them. And, you know, it truly shows in her work. So, you know, as time went on and she was working at the magazine, they actually got invited by the Rolling Stones uh, press, essentially, or, you know, their people to um, go to their uh, reception for their U.S. tour that was happening in 1966. And Linda was very, very excited to be able to photograph this moment in history. Um, but, you know, she thought, okay, the magazine technically got invited. I did not. So she just kind of took the invitation and you know volunteered she said i'll go as the photographer why not um you know she's like i'll happen to be there with my camera something might happen you know which is so great um you know i i don't know if i could ever do something like that i think i'd be like too scared but linda had guts if nothing else so you know she went to this uh boat it was on the hudson in new york city and she was the only female photographer there actually um and of course, I'm assuming the Stones were, you know, just as happy to have a pretty blonde on board. They said, you know, she'll be the one to photograph us. So she got this opportunity of a lifetime. And she was really nervous because she wasn't technically the real photographer. You know, she just showed up with the invitation. Um, but, you know, she made it work. And, you know, when you look back at these pictures, 
they're incredible. They're absolutely incredible. She captures Mick Jagger and Brian Jones and Keith in ways that I, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of pictures of the Stones. Like, don't get me wrong, but I don't think I've ever seen ones as intimate as the ones Linda has gotten, and they're just beautiful. And you know, keep in mind this was really her first big assignment she had ever gotten. Not that it was a real assignment in the sense that like she was asked to do it, but it was her first, you know, real big project and. It was incredible the way she just took these pictures. And it so happened that because she was the only photographer, as she got off the boat, you know, so many of the um, journalists were asking, oh my gosh, can I please use your picture for my story? Can I please use your picture? You know, so she was eventually getting jobs because of all that, because of the fact that her work was just so, so good. Um, and, you know, it just shows in the way, you know, I, I really recommend you all get her book on the 60s, 60s portrait and era. I'm not sure if it's still in print. I got it a long time ago, but I got it on Amazon, so it's probably maybe still there or possibly eBay, but it's fabulous because it shows you all the musicians and important people she photographed in the 60s, and it's incredible. Um, but yeah, that was kind of her big break, and it really got her noticed in the journalist sort of area, and it really got her noticed by um, rock journalists as well. So that was kind of the start of her career. And she would end up photographing everybody from Jimi Hendrix, the animals, Eric Clapton, Cream, you know, anybody that was anybody in the 60s, she would photograph. And she got some of the best pictures of them, in my opinion, I think. And I think that's the great thing about Linda is, you know, people think, oh, she was just Paul McCartney's wife, but there's so much more to her work. And it's absolutely stunning. And she got so much access to these rock stars. She would become friends with them. And they absolutely loved her. Like, they, they were in love with her a lot of the time. And it was just incredible to see her body of work. And, you know, there's rumors she dated a lot of them. But, you know, who can blame a girl, right? When you're photographing rock stars, why not? But, you know, I, I will say, though, to Linda, it wasn't about being a rock, you know, um, not being a rock star, photographing a rock star. It was about photographing real people in their lives. And that's mainly what she set out to do. You know, it had nothing to do with them being musicians. She loved the music. It's why she did it. But she loved photographing. And I think her body of work just shows that. And it's absolutely beautiful. Definitely. Her amazing photography career essentially took Linda to amazing places, as I've mentioned. But it also took her to meeting probably the, one, the most important person in her life, really, Paul McCartney. So because she was so, you know, well-known in the music world at that point, photographing all these bands, she was able to um, get a contract for a book called Rock and Other Four-Letter Words. And they really wanted her to go around and just photograph even more musicians and whatnot. And she got the chance to go to London. And given she was not actually asked to photograph the Beatles, she was still really, really excited. She was going to photograph a lot of uh, English groups over there. But, you know, she knew that she had to photograph the Beatles. It was just something that she had to do. It was, you know, how could you not photograph the Beatles when you're in London, you know? So, you know, she took it upon herself and, you know, she got to London. Um, at the time, her father was not <laughs> very, very stoked on the idea of his daughter being a rock photographer. She was doing something that he did not, you know, think was very wise, um, financially as well as just in general. But, you know, Linda told her, you know, I'm going to be great, so don't worry. So she went off to London, and as I mentioned, she wanted to be able to photograph the Beatles, so she took it upon herself, and she went over to the um, Hilly House, which was the Beatles' sort of um, 
I guess like main office and that's uh, where Brian Epstein's assistant was working at the time and um, she said you know she introduced herself she said hi I'm Linda Eastman I'm a photographer I photograph uh, musicians and artists and whatnot and um, I would really really love to be able to photograph the Beatles if you would let me um, here's my portfolio and the receptionist said say okay well that's that's wonderful um, yes I will definitely get in touch with Brian and um, you know um, I will speak to you soon so she got back to her after about like two days or so two or three days and you know the receptionist had nothing but praise to give Linda she just said you know Brian absolutely loved your your photographs he loved them so much that he actually wants to buy a photo that you took of Keith Moon and Linda was so ecstatic you know the, the thought that Brian Epstein wanted to buy her photograph she said he can have it he can have it it's fine it's fine you know um and the the assistant also told him told her that of course you can photograph the Beatles. They are doing a press launch at Brian's home for the release of their new album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and you can go ahead and photograph them there. And Linda was excited. She was on Cloud Nine. And, you know, throughout her time in London, she also was visiting the animals who were close friends of hers. Um, she was photogra she photographed them in New York, so, you know, they invited her to hang out. And as fate would have it, that night she went over to the popular club called the Bag and Nails Club. It was sort of the it was the place where a bunch of rock stars would hang out and, you know, all anyone who was anyone was at the Bag of Nails. And, you know, they were having a great band, Georgie Flame and the Blue, Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames. Um, and, you know, she was having a great time, you know, with the animals at their table. But as I mentioned, fate would have it that night. Someone else came into the club and that someone else was Mr. Paul McCartney. Through all accounts from what Linda and Paul have said, it was love at first sight. Um, you know, she spotted Paul and Paul spotted her. And it was one of those moments in life where like the world really stops, according to the both of them. Um, they couldn't stop looking at each other. And, you know, as Linda was about to leave, you know, with the animals, because it was, you know, that time of night, and um, Paul Paul knew that this was his chance. He stood up and, you know, he said, hi, I'm, I'm Paul McCartney. And Linda was like, I know, I know you're Paul McCartney. It's nice to meet you. I'm Linda Eastman. And, you know, he basically said, oh, well, you know, we're going to go to another club if you want to join us. So Linda, of course, said, yeah, definitely, like, I'd be down to join you guys. And so she followed Paul and his friends, and they kind of quickly chatted that night about, you know, what she did. She said, I'm a photographer. I was here to mention, you know, I was here to photograph the Beatles, ironically. And, you know, it's crazy. I met you first. And um, they just talked all night and got to know each other. Not extremely well. Of course, it was just a one-night thing. But, um, you know, he found out she was a photographer, and she was, you know, doing all of this, and she had a daughter, and it was you know, genuinely an interesting meeting and definitely, you know, one that changed the lives of both of them, obviously. And, you know, they ended up meeting again at the Sgt. Pepper launch and Paul remembered her and, you know, he said, oh, it's, it's great to see you again. And they, um, there's a great set of pictures. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's, you should look it up and I'll probably post it on the link in my story or in my Instagram. But, there's some great pictures of them at that press launch, uh, press launch release uh, get together at Brian's house where, you know, you just see Linda looking up at Paul and photographing him. And, you know, there's the actual pictures of her that she took that night. And it's amazing because Paul's just so actively like looking at her through the camera. And it's really interesting the way that they, you know, were communicating at that time. And it was really, really beautiful, actually, a, a really beautiful moment. Um, and again, you know, it was a quick fast moment, you know, they said their goodbyes, and, you know, um, Linda always wondered if they would ever see each other again. Um, but, you know, at that time, Paul 
had a lot on his shoulders. He was releasing a new album. He was still actually technically with Jane Asher at this point. So, you know, things were a little complicated more than they seemed. So, you know, they said their goodbyes and they hadn't, they didn't end up seeing each other for a whole year. It wasn't until 1968, kind of around September of 1968, when Paul, you know, everything had changed for the Beatles and Paul in particular. Um, Yoko had moved into the studio and into John's life and the Beatles' lives. They were recording a new album. They had just got back from India. So it was a little hectic at the time. And, you know, at that point, um, Paul hadn't been the best boyfriend to Jane in a lot of ways. And they ended up, you know, breaking up. He, well, rather she dumped him. Go Jane. Um, but yes, she ended up dumping him. And, you know, Paul became very depressed because it was a relationship that lasted five years, but nevertheless, he was also depressed because he realized he was alone for the first time. He was truly alone. And, you know, through this time, he thought back to the girl that he met, you know, at the Bag of Nails Club, Linda, Linda Eastman. Um, and, you know, it, she kept coming back to him as he quotes this saying, he never forgot her, but you know, this was a moment where he thought, oh, you know, I really liked talking to her. I really liked being with her. So he took it upon himself and he called Linda because, you know, um, as daring as she was in 1968, they, she was in New York and she gave her his, or she gave him her number and said, you know, call me anytime. And so he still had that number. And he called her up and just said, you know, I would like to see you again, and we're recording a new album, just come and hang out, you know? Which in Linda's world, you can't just come and hang out when you're a mom. <laughs> you know, you have a responsibility. So Linda was really, really unsure, as she's quoted as saying, you know, I didn't know what to do because I was a mom, I, I had responsibilities, I had my work, I couldn't just leave everything at the drop of a hat. But, you know, Paul said, just come over for like a week or two, you know, just to hang out. So Linda, of course, went because... I would too, obviously. Um, and they fell madly in love during this time. It was during the White Album sessions. Um, they started dating. And the really great thing that Paul would say about Linda is that she like really taught him how to let loose and how to be a person that wasn't as stressed out in a lot of ways. Because I think being in a big band as such as the Beatles can stress you out a lot of the time. So Linda was able to really like set him straight and just say, you know, it's okay to feel tired. It's okay to feel stressed out. You're human, you know, because that that's such an important thing I think a lot of us should learn is, you know, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel, you know, your feelings because they're feelings, they're valid. And Paul was amazed at this. He was amazed that Linda was the type of person that told him, you know, I think she, there was a quote, he said, um, you know, we were driving around and I, I was telling Linda, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm just really stressed about the album and everything that's going on. And, you know, she just turned to me and she said, it's allowed. <laughs> you know, and that moment for Paul was like, wow, okay, that was amazing. I'd never, he said, I'd never met someone that was that, you know, honest and that open and that calm. So, you know, th that was the kind of things that was making Paul realize that this was the woman for him. And he fell madly in love, as did Linda. Um, but again, she had responsibilities. She had a daughter back home in New York City. She had a life back in New York City. So, you know, overnight her world just turned over and, you know, he basically just said, you know, I want you to stay. And Linda was very in love, as I mentioned, and decided to go ahead and stay. So she brought Heather over 
And around late 1968, Linda found out that she was actually pregnant. And Paul, because he was more than happy about this, um, you know, he asked, well, a little before that, he kind of semi-proposed when they were in New York City for a visit that they went to when they were visiting Linda's father. He kind of semi-proposed and Linda at the time was actually not keen on marriage. You know, she had been through a divorce herself. She was a single mom. She'd been through it. She didn't want to go through that again. So she didn't really see the point in actually getting married. But Paul was insistent. He he wanted to marry her. He wanted to be with her. You know, this was the woman for him. And he knew that. Um, and, you know, eventually as time went on, Linda did budge. And also the arrival of Mary sort of maybe sped that up a little bit as well. Um, but yes, they married on March 17th, 1969 at Marlebone Registry Office in London. Um, and it was a very intimate ceremony. Well, but but there is a great quote that Linda says, you know, the idea that we've been seen as this perfect couple, but the reality is, is that we, we fought the night before the wedding and it was almost called off. So, you know, I think that's, that's the great thing about them is that, yes, they were madly in love for however many years, but, you know, there was always problems. And then, and I think Linda and Paul are the example of how you go about treating those problems in a marriage. You know, it takes time and communication and, you know, the fact that they almost didn't get married is crazy. Um, but they did. And because, you know, they were finally married and very happy, the world hated Linda. They absolutely hated her from the moment that she stepped onto Paul's house in 1968. Uh, and of course, marriage didn't change this effect. They were, you know, by the fans, she was hated. She was known as the divorcee, the, the really like, a tacky American because, you know, Linda was so casual that she didn't really ever wear makeup. She never really did her hair. She wore like, you know, really long socks and was just such a quirky person with her style. And she didn't care what people thought about her. And this was seen as like, oh my God, how could you date Paul McCartney and not wear makeup? How could you be with Paul McCartney and, and not care about it, like your appearance? But it's like, at the end of the day, does that really, that's, that stuff doesn't really matter. You know, obviously if you love fashion and makeup, that's wonderful. And that's a way to express yourself. But Linda, she wasn't really into that stuff. So she just chose to not be that kind of a person. And I think when you date someone in the public eye, such as Paul McCartney, it can be very tempting to want to change yourself up so much. But the reality is, is Linda didn't want any of that. And, you know, she was who she was, straight faced. And there was a quote that she said, you know, you're going to see me at face value. I am who I am and I'm giving you who I am. So deal with it. And I think that's such a powerful statement. But again, these fans did not like her. And when they got married at the registry office, you can actually see in the video of their wedding, you can see fans crying. And it's, it's hilarious to me, you know, the thought that they think that they were going to marry Paul McCartney. But, you know, I think obviously they still had that sort of yearning, right? Um, because I think everyone assumed he and Jane would have gotten married by now, but it didn't happen. And, you know, so many fans were disappointed. But Linda was happy when it's ever pregnant and, you know, her and Paul were in love. So it all worked out. And Paul actually ended up adopting little Heather because they got on so well. And Paul had always wanted a family. He was a real family man, you know, stemming from his own family. So he always wanted that sense of family. And little Heather gave him that. And he loved her so much that he ended up adopting her and became her adoptive father. So besides Heather, they ended up having um, three more children. Mary, who was born later that year, Stella, and their last, James. Um, and they were a really, really happy family for a long time. But after the marriage, um, the Beatles ended up breaking up. It was a big event. It was a big life event. It changed so much. There was tensions. And it was the beginning of Paul's really, really big 
dramatic, depressive episode. So at the time, Paul and Linda had decided to move to the countryside, Scotland, because Paul had acquired a house there a couple years before, and Linda just needed a fresh, you know, a fresh of, or a breath of fresh air, as did Paul, and they wanted to raise a family in a kind of outside of London, you know, more in a city or more in a nature environment because it's Linda's, you know, first love. Um, but again, this was Paul's depressive, you know, episode that he was having. He would drink a lot. Um, and it was the real big start of problems in their marriage. Uh, Paul was drinking. They had just had a new baby. And Linda couldn't seem to shake him from this. And, you know, of course, justified. Paul had gone through a huge life change. He had grew, grown up with, you know, these these guys and they were his family. And now that they weren't together, Paul didn't really know what to do. He felt stuck. Um, but Linda was not going to let him be this, you know, depressed guy his whole life. She said, you know, you are still talented. You are still Paul McCartney. You are still worthy, you know, and just because you are not in the Beatles does not mean you are not worth anything. So, you know, she was so frustrated that he couldn't, you know, resolve himself. And, you know, Paul really began to see that as true, you know, Linda was the one person that helped him get out of the state and realize that there was more to life, you know, he had a family now, he had things to look forward to, he could still create music just because he wasn't with the Beatles, and um, he ended up writing Maybe I'm Amazed, which is on the McCartney one, so the first McCartney album, which is a favorite of mine, has always been, and I don't know if you guys know, but McCartney one is actually my favorite Paul McCartney album, if I was going to choose, that being said, I don't really listen to Beatles solo music as much as I should probably, but out of all of them, McCartney one is my favorite. And I think it, I think it's because it's so organic, the sound, given that Paul was, you know, living in Scotland at the time. It's very organic and you can actually hear Linda's backing vocals in the tracks and it's, it's so wonderful and it's a great album. But yes, he did write Maybe I'm Amazed because of this experience, you know, Linda helping him, him realizing that she's the best thing in his life at that point. And it's just an amazing amazing song that just explores that love and how Linda truly helped him. So because they ended up living on this farm, um, the another big change that the McCartneys faced together was the idea that they became vegetarians, you know. Um, Linda describes it as one day we were eating le leg of lamb, which is, you know, it's lamb. And they were on the farm and little Mary and Stella, uh, Mary and Heather, I cannot speak today, guys, I'm sorry about that, but Mary and Heather were actually playing in, you know, the grass and whatnot, and with, with the actual little lambs that they had, and, you know, Linda just looked down at her plate and realized, we're eating that leg, you know, like, we're eating that lamb's leg, <laughs> um, so from then on, her and Paul decided to stop, and, you know, they decided to be staunch vegetarians, and because they loved animals so much and wanted to, you know, value their life, they dedicated their life to vegetarianism, and uh, it became a real big stance that they both took, and it was a big change. So after the birth of their uh, third daughter, Stella, um, it was a bit of a miracle, her birth, as Paul recalls. Uh, it was a complication with the, with the birth, but Stella came out, you know, amazed, and Paul kind of equates it with seeing angel wings in a dream that he had, and he instantly thought, wings, that's a good name for a band. And, you know, as Linda is has just given birth, Paul tells her, you know, I want to start a band. And she's, she's like, oh, well, great. That's wonderful. Just thinking, oh, great. Okay, Paul's going to definitely be, you know, doing music again. And he says, yeah, but I want you to join it. And Linda was horrified <laughs> at the thought of her having to um, 
you know, be in the band. And she said, you know, I'm not a musician, Paul. And she's like, I don't care. I mean, neither was I. But, you know, I learned. And, you know, I want you to be there. I want my wife to be there. I want to be with you always. You know, he wanted to take her everywhere, which is very similar in a way to John, don't we think? I mean, it's kind of interesting, the parallels, but... A lot of people don't seem to make that connection, but, you know, there was that connection that they both wanted their wives there with them at all time. And Linda decided to go for it. I mean, damn what anybody else has to say. Of course, that was a worry, but damn what anybody else has to say. So they created Wings and, you know, it became a real family band. Linda would take the kids with them everywhere. They would travel on a bus um, and it became a real family affair. And, you know, that's the great thing I think about, like, Paul's, he was a family man through and through. Um, of course, many fans would, you know, hate her for the way she sang, the way she dressed, the way she cut her hair, you know, it was never ending really for Linda, but she would just kind of brush it off because she could care less about people's opinions. And, you know, they ended up creating some great music and wings and, um, just iconic, you know, iconic, iconic band. Um, of course they disbanded in 1980 after Paul's marijuana bust in Japan. Um, but, you know, they, they ended up, you know, having that great band together. And, you know, it's it's great to know that their marriage is kind of documented really on those albums. And it's, it's a really beautiful way to, to say that. And, you know, throughout it all, they had a lovely marriage. Linda in the 80s ended up um, becoming really involved with vegetarian cooking as she was a vegetarian her whole life at that point. Um, and, you know, she, she published a lot of vegetarian cookbooks, which I have yet to try, but I would love to get one, and I would love to try her recipes. Um, she dedicated herself to activism with animals, and as well, um, being able to help Paul at any function, you know, just being his right arm, you know, being that person that was always there for him. And, you know, it was wonderful. And, you know, they did a lot of movies together and, you know, just had a lovely marriage. They were considered sort of the best marriage in rock and roll history. And I can definitely see that with, you know, the love that they shared. It's just very apparent. Um, and, yeah, they had a wonderful, wonderful time together for the time that they were together. Unfortunately, though, um, once, you know, their children were a bit grown up uh, in 1995, Linda was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was a very difficult time for everybody. And, you know, Linda was, she knew what would happen, but she was willing to take it on and had her family with her throughout, you know, the process and the chemo. And, you know, there was times where there was hope. But there was also times when it was just not, you know, there was no hope. And um, by 1998, on April 17th, Linda McCartney passed away in Arizona. She was surrounded by her family, Paul, her children. Um, and, you know, she was buried at the McCartney family estate. And it was um, very tragic, really, really tragic. It affected Paul deeply. He was heartbroken. You know, the love of his life was gone. And, you know, I, I think for a time he didn't know how to go on, but he knew that he had to for his kids, for them to be okay. And, you know, Paul to this day still keeps her um, legacy alive, you know, um, in promoting her photography, especially. And, you know, making the world know that Linda was an incredible human being and knowing that she was someone that affected the world in a beautiful way. And he said that, you know, the world is a better place for having known Linda. And um, again, they're one of the greatest marriages in rock history and they created an amazing family. Stella is a designer, Mary a photographer, 
Heather does pottery and interior design, and James himself is a musician. Um, and I like to think of Linda whenever I see a great photo, even if it's not hers. I just like to think, oh my gosh, Linda would have appreciated this. Because I don't know if you guys know, but I do photography on the side, and Linda was one of my first um, introductions into what photography could be. I had known a bunch of photographers, but the great thing about Linda is I realized that photography can be anything you want it to be. It does not need to be posed. It does not need to be a certain way. So Linda taught me how to do that, and I think I have her to thank for that, which is beautiful. And, you know, it's great to see her and Paul had an incredible marriage and an incredible life. And so I guess with all that, you know, as I've said, Linda is one of those people that is super important in Beatles history because of the fact that, you know, when we think of the Beatles, unfortunately, a lot of the times in their personal lives, they've had a lot of issues and tribulations, as many people do, you know, because no one's perfect. But I think Paul and Linda are the, you know, ideal Beatles couple in a lot of senses because they realized that the love that they shared was more powerful than anything that could get in their way. And it's wonderful to see that her legacy is still being discussed today. She is, was an incredible artist that was more than just being the wife of Paul McCartney. She created an incredible body of work, which I love. And her ideal, you know, her idea that fighting for an animal, you know, that their lives matter, it's just so beautiful. It's such a beautiful way of thinking. And that, that just describes Linda perfectly. She was so natural, so wonderful. And I, and I definitely get why Paul fell in love with her. You know, I would have loved to have met Linda and be friends with her because she just seems like such an amazing person. And I think that's the great thing about her. And, and I think that Paul to this day still, you know, keeps her legacy alive is that we'll never forget her and we, we will always remember the amazing person that she was. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great really. And I'm so happy that she was able to be that person for Paul. And, and I'm glad that Paul brought her a lot of happiness as well. So thank you, lovely Linda. We all love you. And, um, you know, we wish you were here today, I think. Definitely. So here we, oh, here we go on to the fun facts section of the episode, which I love to do, as I mentioned every single time. It's my favorite part. Um, so, all right, let's list some fun facts. And, you know, this is from research I've done and just random facts that I know myself. So Linda, uh, as you all know, of course, she was a photographer. She has been the only woman in Rolling Stones magazine history that was on the cover twice. So the first was in 1968 when she photographed Cream in New York City. Eric Clapton was one of the one of her portraits, and that was the first cover of Rolling Stone that featured that was a woman's uh, own work, so her own photograph. So that was an an amazing thing. She was the first woman on Rolling Stone. I mean, crazy. But the second time was when she was photographed in the 70s with Paul McCartney, and I believe they were uh, promoting Wings or something to do with that. But she was on the cover twice, which is the only time in history that's ever happened, and it's incredible. So props to Linda for, you know, breaking the glass ceiling and, you know, viewing a record. So that's pretty amazing. She discovered photography in Arizona at the Arizona Fine Arts Center as well as um, in school. Um, a friend of hers said, you know, I'm taking this photography class. Um, you should come to it. And Linda was like, oh, I mean, I, I guess, sure. So she went, and this amazing teacher taught her um, incredible work, as I mentioned with Dorothy Lang, and it was a real, real introduction to her onto what photography can be, and she absolutely fell in love with it. So thank you to the Arizona Fine Arts Center. Shout out. 
Another fun fact is that Linda was actually, and I think I've mentioned this before, but um, she was one of the, she's what, like the second or third Beatle wife that ended up attending a Beatles concert before meeting her future husband. She attended the Shea Stadium concert in 1965 in New York City and witnessed the Beatles playing, you know? It's sort of that, that idea of life happened, you know, things happen for a reason, you know? I don't even think she even knew then that that would be her future husband in the next coming years. You know, she was probably amazed as we all are. So it's an amazing fact that she was there and was able to witness all that. Another fun fact is that John, well, Paul was not actually her favorite Beatle, if you can believe it or not. John was her favorite Beatle. She had always um, admired his humor and his brashness and how um, definitely much of a free person he seemed. And she said, you know, if there was one person I think I'd want to meet, it was John Lennon before meeting him, of course. And then Linda said, you know, after I did meet him, I, I thought he was going to be this, you know, really wise person. And, you know, given Linda did meet him at a time when it was very hard for him, you know, his divorce and, you know, having to explain his love for Yoko and the band having problems. So, you know, Linda, I think, met him at a very hard time. But she would later say that he did not, he was not that, you know, wise, confident person I thought he'd be. And it kind of showed me a lesson on how people aren't what they seem, she said. And I think that's really incredible to say. Um, but yes, John was her favorite Beatle before Paul, which is great, just because Linda was also a John fan. And I love that. Linda um, had a lot of friends um, living in New York City and kind of being around this music world. She had a lot of really important people that were friends, but one notable person that was really her best friend in a lot of ways was a journalist and photographer, Danny Fields. Uh, Danny Fields, if you don't know, he is really famous for, you know, capturing pictures of the Ramones, and he was a big sort of attendee of CBGB's in the 70s. But in the 60s, he was a journalist um, and, you know, he knew a lot of uh, musicians and um, he was very involved in the Andy Warhol factory scene as well. Um, he knew Nico, you know, so Danny Fields was very connected and he and Linda were like best friends, which I think is like really, really great. And Danny actually wrote a biography on Linda, um, which I have yet to read and I really, really want to. I've, I've heard, or I've seen quotes and heard things that he said in the past about Linda, but I'd love to read his book, um, just because I think, you know, he was her friend and her best friend and it's, um, it would be great to like get his viewpoint of it, but yes, you know, they were best friends and it's pretty, pretty cool. So as I've mentioned, uh, Linda's father, Lee Eastman was a entertainment lawyer and he represented artists and musicians. And one actual composer named Jack Lawrence uh, ended up composing a song called Linda for little Linda, who was uh, I think like four or five or so, or six, I think. Um, and it actually went up to number one at the time in 1940, whatever it was, but um, pretty amazing that Linda was already inspiring songs even as young as she was. So another fun, great fact is that in um, Live and Let Die, which is kind of the Bond theme that we all know Paul ended up doing, uh, Linda wrote the sort of like little, in the little middle reggae section, and it's like pretty amazing, and I love that part. I've always loved that part. So um, yeah, I think it's great because Linda was a big fan of reggae music, and she like really brought that into the sound. Um, and in Wings too, you can clearly hear that. So it's pretty amazing, and I, I've always really, really loved that part. And 
I guess the last fun fact is, you know, 29 years of marriage. I don't know why that's a fun fact. I wrote that, but um, 29 years is a long time, y'all. A long, long time. And, you know, props to Paul and Linda for pulling it off because that is not easy at all. Um, I absolutely love the idea that they were together that long. And it's just beautiful. It's wonderful. I love it. I love it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, those are all the fun facts I have for you guys today, and I'm sure there's a lot more because I'm pretty sure I'm missing a lot, but ultimately, yes, those were the fun facts, definitely. So thank you all today for joining me on this lovely episode of the She Loves You podcast. I absolutely loved doing this episode, um, and go out and hear some wings, y'all. Go out and see Linda's photography. There are some great documentaries on her, and I'm sure you can find most of them online. Um... And yeah, just absorb the art she created. And you know what? Go buy her cookbooks and cook yourself up some good veggie, vegetarian cooking because, you know, love the animals, everybody. Um, And, you know, just let's remember Linda and the amazing, you know, uh, influence she had on Paul McCartney and the Beatles at large. And, you know, I hope we can all one day find the Paul to our Linda if that's what we choose to want. Um, you know, because I think everybody deserves a great love story and Paul and Linda's was definitely it. So thank you for joining me today and I will see you on the next great episode of the She Loves You podcast. Have a good day, guys. Bye-bye. When I go to sleep, I never count sheep. I count all the charms about Linda. And lately it seems in all of my dreams, I walk with my arms about Linda. Thank you.